You're listening to the Tuesday Talks Podcast, your source of truth in communications, identity management, and technology, hosted by New Miracle. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tuesday Talks, where we shed light on the evolving complexities within the communications ecosystem. Joining Anise and I today will be our very special guest, Chris Wint. Chris is the co-chair of the Addis SIP Forum IPNNI Joint Task Force, co-chair of the STIGA Technical Committee, and a very familiar face for Numerical through the various ongoing projects and proof of concepts we've worked on together. So Chris, thank you so very much for joining us today. Thanks, Rebecca. Glad to be here. So for today's session, Anise and I will be asking Chris a series of questions in uh, those that are in serious need of some myth busting. So between too much information, not enough information, and tons of misinformation, we've been seeing a lot of confusion, particularly around stir and deployment, the state of the industry, and really what we can expect post-June 2021 deadline. So without further ado, Anise, let's just dive right in with Chris. Is that okay? Yeah, let's do that. All right. So... Chris, right now, as in today, are calls being blocked by terminating carriers if the calls are not signed with a shaken certificate by the originating carrier? No, they are not. And I don't think we have any plan to block calls anytime soon. Um, And I, I would even venture to say that we really will let that choice up to the user, not not the service provider doing active blocking, um, unless there's something illegitimate or illegal or they're using illegitimate numbers or things like that. There has to be certain credit criteria that are set forth by the FCC, but uh, that's an emphatic no. Okay. So it kind of sounds like a little bit of mentioning the analytics. So can we expect to see analytics continue on post the deployment of Stir Shaken? I think there's always going to be a role for some analytics. From my point of view, putting truth into the network hopefully will be a major force in unmasking the the bad guys um, in terms of uh, the, the illegitimate use of telephone numbers, illegitimate spoofing, et cetera. But uh, yeah, so I, I think it's hard to say what role analytics would play. I think it's going to change over time. I think techniques will be there. I think there's going to be consumer-oriented analytics, but my hope is that the need for them will go down um, over time. Yeah, and so another area where we're hearing uh, rumors or uh, lots of concern over blocked calls is that there's something magical that happens on July 1st. And mm-hmm. if... Uh, certain steps aren't taken by June thirtieth. Um, that July first calls will be blocked. So, is is that a true statement? No, July well June thirtieth is really all about um, the FCC putting a date on when service providers and and this is especially true of the larger service providers must have implemented their plans for providing stir shake and signing in the network, being compliant with the specs. There is some caveats and some exceptions that have been applied for that might go beyond that, but the hope is that uh, there's a relatively major percentage that have implemented stir shaken and are signing their calls. How widespread is the adoption, Chris, right now uh, with the carriers that have implemented the standard? Yeah, from what we've seen, uh, the adoption's um, been really good and ramping up, you know, every day. I think, you know, and that's 
in particular, again, with the major providers, um, we do see more and more of the medium-sized, smaller service providers coming online as well, but we're definitely in major percentage territory. That's great. And what happens if carriers or some networks are not ready to deploy in time, uh, the June 30th deadline? I don't know if there's any particular, you know, uh, penalty. Um, Obviously, uh, this is a a very hot issue. And I I think there probably will be penalties applied if if people aren't doing it. I I mean, the pressure has definitely been set by the FCC that you must implement. Um, but that's the end goal. That's why Stir Shaken it will be effective is because if all the calls are signed, again, you'll get the truth in the telephone network and, and that'll br- bring us so many positive benefits, not just um, in terms of some of the current problems, but you know, we're hoping that that'll set a precedent for the future of the, the telephone network. Right. And I think uh, there were a couple of carriers who had requested for an extension which the FCC denied. Uh, this was uh, end of March, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, related to that, there was also a, a discussion about a robocall mitigation database that the FCC can put in place, or there were some discussions about maybe creating a database where you can, you can, uh, where service providers can have a mitigation plan and and be part of that. What, what's your take on that? How far along is that, or is that still early? Yeah, I don't think all the details are out there, but I think it's really welcome thing for the ecosystem. So basically it's the FCC's mechanism of making sure you have a plan in place um, and you've registered yourself and are, you know, committing to a plan in place. I think, you know, there may, there's discussions of strings attached and other things where we can tie that to participation in, in the ecosystem. Um, I don't think we're totally there yet, but um, but I think it is a good idea to um, you know at least uh, get everyone's commitment and um, and have a way of um, tying signed calls back to somebody that's in this database. So, Chris, you mentioned a moment ago about truth, you know, in in the voice channel. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we could just say that and, 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 and casually go, oh, we're going to put trust back in the network. But what is it that we're really trusting? You know, <laughs> I mean, we're putting in a lot of right. technology. We talk about words, stir and shaken that mean all these other words to them. But really, you know, truth and trust are these words we throw around when we're talking about this. Yeah. And I know you and I have had lengthy conversations uh, around local policy for the originating carrier. And this is this is Rebecca talking from my perspective is that the truth comes from the source of truth. There has to be a source from which truth originates. And I do believe what I saw in the trace stack, the focus is all on the activities of the originating carrier, because that is the entry point for these good callers or bad callers. It really is the entry point for them. So the standards, which you were a part of writing, which is why you're here, uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, refers to some attestations around what I like to refer to as just knowledge. What do you know? You as the originating carrier, what do you know? And there's two points. Those two points are the entity that's originating the call and the authorization for use of the number. I will say, I think those are two incredible data elements uh, that help us get to truth and they Mm -hmm possibly help get us to trust. It depends on how you 
assess this truth, right? I yeah. think that's part of right. it. Right. So looking at the the local policy side, and we do have uh, uh, listeners who are on the origination carrier side, and they've done what they needed to do. They checked off the box, they implemented stir mm-hmm. shaken, but now they're wrestling with this concept of, okay, I have a local policy to assign A, B, or C, but what does that really mean? It, can, can you kind of shed some light on that side of the standards? That's really more of a policy level. Yeah. And I, I think when we originally conceptualized the sense of attestation, it was early on in the process. And we were sort of, you know, as an industry, we were forced to go that way because there's so many calling scenarios that are in the telephone network that it would be impossible to cover them all with a, a simple um, mechanism. So we knew that there was going to be a roadmap for more interesting things to come along. But I think the ABC. Although, you know, people talk a lot about it, you know, it actually does conceptualize how originating service providers are receiving their calls. So uh, in the case of a attestation, uh, the basic scenario is I'm directly providing, I provide a retail product directly as, as a service provider. That's the simplest case. And I know my customer, I know uh, that I gave them that telephone number. So it's an easy you know, attestation A. Then you have some of the indirect cases, which is, you know, the more interesting things that we're getting into, uh, you know, in the standards, um, where it's B, like you're receiving the call, but you didn't give them the telephone number. So you don't know if they're uh, necessarily uh, spoofing that number legitimately with their right to use that number. Or C really is just sort of the category of like, I, I, I received this call, but I have no idea where it came from or, or anything, which is a valid s- uh, scenario in the telephone network today as well. So what we're trying to evolve to is these enterprise use cases, these indirect cases where we can go, we, we can use a knowledge in the form of, you know, in, in the case of delegate certificates, which is something that I've been working on and uh, advocating for for a little while now. And I know uh, POCs have sh- shown that. that In that case, there's direct crypt- cryptographic evidence that the call came from an authorized certificate um, that represents that trust. And it can pass through as many hops in the network as you want. As long as the signatures are valid, you know where it came from and you know who at the end of the day is providing, you know, the proof of the right to use that number. It's sort of an end-to-end thing that we're trying to get to so that once it gets the originating provider, instead of, you know, being limited to giving only a B or a C attestation, you can elevate that to an A attestation because you have that proof. So one of the things that we're kind of seeing, as you know, we have quite a few customers that that cover the enterprise BPO call center and even service providers. Now we're actually finding ourselves in that space mm-hmm. and uh, we're starting to hear messages from the market that um, originating service providers are almost like selling a levels, right? If you want to have your call at an a level, you can pay to have your call signed. Uh, have you seen that? And what are your thoughts on uh, what that does to the entire security framework? Uh, if customers can just go, hey, I'd like to have an A and here's what I'll pay for it. I haven't seen it personally, but I've certainly heard stories of people that are discussing that. And the framework as as it is today, it is sort of based on 
trust, but maybe more about reputation. You know, if you choose to do those things and you're not doing things like vetting or knowing your customer or anything associated with validating that that TN is being used by its rightful, I, I shouldn't say owner, but that, that they have the right to use that number, then that's a, that's a risk in terms of, you know, and that's where, you know, some of the analytics might play into this uh, eventually as, as there's more trusted calls, then, you know, there's going to be reputation of originating service providers and what attestation they're giving. And eventually, if it's known that you're doing that type of activity, I, th I believe the, either the FCC or, or others will step in and uh, block you from doing those things. Yeah, so from uh, based on that, Chris, on the terminating side, let's assume that the call is received with the certificate and you have an attestation level, right, A, B, mm -hmm. or C. Is it fair to state that even if you have an attestation level A on the termination side, you would still have analytics run reputation both on the uh, originating service provider who attested the call as well as any uh, reputation on the number and then determine what to do with that call? It, you could still label the right. call uh, as spam or spam likely or whatever uh, based on the analytics. Is that a fair Yeah, statement? I mean, I, I think any of those things is really possible. And, you know, the way analytics works in terms of patterns, I think it probably could look at any of those or, or maybe independently look at, 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 at any of those. But I think the risk is that, you know, you're basically signing the call with, you know, your identifier. So the uh, efficiency that we put into tracing back to the provider that is, you know, giving these calls has been, you know, infinitely uh, increased. You know, it's not going to be the situation where you can sort of hide in plain sight or anything like that anymore. It's going to be hopefully to the point where we can quickly identify those those folks. There's enough pain to getting to the point where you have the privilege of, of signing calls uh, that you probably don't want to ruin your reputation or lose that capability. I'm hoping that the incentive is that you just don't do that. And again, the strength of the analytics that it needs to to track reputations of service providers or or other criteria uh, um, will lessen. And I think that's a wave that that we're going to see. Anise and I kind of uh, sit back and we're thinking, okay, come July 1st, what does the world look like? I think it's going to take you know, July, August, September, maybe by the December or Q1 of 2022, that's when the enforcement side, so we've got the traceback group, which is well-established and going and doing a great job. Then we're going to start to have these calls that are signed. We have the robocall mitigation database. I think we'll see that wave of enforcement start to step forward because number one, it's a little bit easier now, right? We, we've got your identity, not only your identity on one number that we're tracing back, but we kind of have your identity on all the numbers that you're delivering because you've, you've attached yourself to them. Mm -hmm. And I no doubt uh, the federal government doing what they do best, they will make you know a lesson out of somebody uh, <laughs> with regards to um, either big old slap on the hands or re the revocation process might get tested out. So, I mean, just, just because we figured out how to implement Sir Shagan, I think the enforcement side and how we live in this ecosystem is still yet to be determined. And I'm sure with your role on the governance authority that, that you guys are already ahead of that and thinking about, you know, what comes next um, right. with that particular, you know, side of it. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting the day that, you know, we do use that 
you know, somebody does attest a two calls and we do and well, no, I shouldn't say we, the, the authorities um, make an example out of that because I, I think that uh, will be sort of a, uh, you know, a precedent setting event um, for people to realize, hey, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be uh, just giving uh, a attestation out willy nilly, you know. So um, we are also hearing that, uh, at least right now, some calls that are being attested A go through but then calls that are not attested as A do not go through or get blocked. Is that something that we that is happening during this transition phase? Or do you see this as, a, as an issue when the standard is implemented? Right now, the only, well, there's, there's two parts. One is um, uh, some people call it edge blocking, but we service providers are allowed to block unassigned, unallocated, or illegitimate numbers, you know, without hesitation. So you you have full permission to do that. I think as part of a robocall mitigation practice, you also do have the ability, given user preference or other criteria, to also block calls. And some of those rules are evolving. And I think, you know, those things, you know, we want to make sure that there's care provided in, in, in how you do that and, and really defer to the customer um, and what their preferences are. You know, that's my personal take, I guess. Uh, we've sort of thought about, could there be an over, you know, going a little bit overboard, overcompensating, that's the word I was looking for, overcompensating on now we're blocking too many calls. And mm. you instead of saying like, why did I get that call? You're saying like, why didn't I get that call? Right. And I think that's what we're trying to address in terms of like making sure that we go beyond uh, the direct use cases, but cover the indirect cases and make sure they're signed with a, with accuracy so that again we can rely on the attest the, the 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 signing the attestation uh to to trust that call yeah and, and going beyond blocking um, would there be a difference in how the calls are getting displayed or presented at the terminating site if it's attested a versus b or c let's assume yeah. the call is not blocked but would there be a way uh, would there be a difference in how it's presented well, so the industry debated a lot on the display part, and we've talked about like green check marks. We've talked about on analog displays using bracket V. Those things haven't been adopted. As far as I know, the, that's always associated with the presence of a, an attestation. In fact, I think even uh, Apple and uh, Android are, are displaying some of those things. Um, I know Apple's just in the call logs right now. At Comcast, we turned that on to, uh, for all of our uh, residential and some of our commercial customers. So far, it's been good. Uh, we were worried that maybe there might be some confusion, but it doesn't seem like uh, that has turned out to be the case. Does that mean that uh, the presentation layer is really dependent on the end device and how that behaves? Um, in the case of right. Apple, as you said, you know, it shows logo show up on the call logs, but Google has a way to display it yeah. know, as part of the call. Yeah, right now it's sort of up. And I mean, part of it, I think is, I don't know if it was intentional, but, you know, like we want to make sure that people can adapt and we didn't like make decisions that, you know, we regretted later in terms of display, because I think there was a bunch of debate on, you know, what's most effective to the end user. I think right now it's sort of new and, you know, the fact that not all the calls are signed 
Um, it's it, it's an effective thing to get people aware of it, to show a new symbol, to say, say hey, this call, uh, the telephone number has been verified. But we'll see going forward, um, you know, if that becomes the norm, um, maybe you want to go back and reevaluate and say, like, maybe I should only show the ones that are not verified or it's all going to have to be in the context of making sure that consumers understand what they're getting. Right. And, and I, and I think time will tell um, how people react and, and, and we're going to start to see it. Like you said, you know, going to the end of the year and, and early 2022. So Chris, right. I, I know we worked together on the uh, proof of concept for the first uh, signed delegated certificate. Um, mm -hmm. Again, thank you for uh, participating in that long, long, long journey. Right. <laughs> Just to get to that point. Um, yeah. But no good deed goes unpunished uh, because what we've seen is that um, although we did this in a in a little proof of concept ecosystem, not in a live environment. Uh, other, you know, from a marketing perspective, we're seeing uh, notifications or marketing strategies saying enterprise calls can be signed with an A-level attestation, and we're seeing a 15 to 20% increase in contact rates. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, and I'm sitting there going, first of all, I've never seen your name in any of our standards groups, <laughs> and I'm here in D.C. You've never been uh, speaking before federal regulators before. How are you know thinking like how are these companies so confident? And so, what what would you say to that? Because it is creating confusion, and and where I get really defensive, the mama bear comes out of me, are for those service providers who are doing everything right, and they're having to compete against service providers who are just throwing out these misleading, you know, marketing tactics. What, what would you say to that service provider who is up against this other one that's making these claims? They're wondering, am I missing out on something? Was, did I, what's, what's going on with that? What's the truth? Yeah, I think from you know my role point of view, I, I need to sort of take the cut and dry approach here, and you know say that trust is, trust in telephone number identity is uh, an overall benefit that uh, you know we can all benefit from uh, equally. Uh, you know, it's sort of like if you all join the party, you know, we're all going to have a lot of fun at the end of the day. I I may be a little skeptical about maybe there's some of those statistics. The only thing that I've seen is that there has been some decline in um, the overall spam. I think that's not just because of stir shaken. I think it's lot, lots of enforcement happening, lots of uh, the call blocking that's happening. I think it's all those things coming together. But the nice thing that's happening because of stir shaken, and, and I still think it's really important to have some trust, you know, just like the web, we can't live without TLS on the web. Um, uh, the same thing is true with the telephone number. We really, really shouldn't live without stir shaken. Bottom line is, um, you know, trust is where we're trying to get to. It's the end goal and the results are, are going to show for themselves. And, and it'll be interesting to see how quickly we get to the point where the, 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 the network is completely uh, or, you know, at like 80, 90 percent level. Um, so so and, and, and what happens and the psychology of, uh, oh, I know what I was going to say. Because of Stir Shaken, we have been evaluating, you know, how we vet customers, how we, why we're, why we're giving them attestation A. That all results in a, results in a net positive uh, for the overall network and trust in the network. Now that I agree on 100%. Well, Chris, you know, we we uh, knew that we were probably not going to get to every question that we wanted to ask you. In fact, like we have a lot of technology questions 
that some of our uh, audience members have submitted as well. So would it be possible to have you on as a second guest for another show in the future? So we can. Absolutely. Oh, that's wonderful. Great. We didn't scare you away. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to pause here, uh, Molly, to see if there are any questions that have been submitted to you uh, from our current active audience. We do have one. So I'm going to roll with this one now. Question here is in regards to know your customer and being able to address requests from traceback, et cetera, on calls that go through your network and sign to certain attestation levels. What kind of info would be recommended that a service provider should get from their client? Should it be simple business info like main points of contact, or does it need to be even more in depth than that down to questions about the technology or the business infrastructure? Yeah, so I, w- I participated in Nancy Cata working group where we're, we took a first stab at trying to define that. And I think we have the framework in that current document, the, the latest document, it was actually the second uh, Work, uh, working group, and we defined the word vetting as the vernacular to use for validating the company and making sure you have contact information and they're, you know, they have a physical address and a contact info and stuff like that. And then TN validation is about making sure you're um, validating that they actually have the right to use that number. I think we want to sort of take, um, we looked at EV certs process and some other things as the basis for like doing those things. I think hopefully we'll have um, more extended best practices uh, defined, but you know, you can imagine there's lots of processes to determine the validity of a business, but that's all what it's all about. Yeah. And, and um, I had the opportunity, Chris, you know, you guys invited me to the Cataworking Group to present. And so mm-hmm. someone who's from that space, um, I'll just say that, you know, I thought the report was great, the final product. So yeah. I was really impressed with the Nancy and the Working Group, listened to the industry and put together a, a plan that is, is actionable. And I'll also just add, it mirrors very nicely with what our enforcement arm in our in the United States uh, asked, which was the FTC side. They've already detailed exactly what their expectation is. So the one who's going to come knocking on your door and look at your process, you might want to go listen to what they have to say. Um, and we have that somewhere on our website, uh, access to read that. But it's just You know, I think at the end of the day, the FCC and the FTC have put out so much information that you cannot stand there and say, I didn't know, because there's really been a lot of work and effort put into helping bring clarity to that. So thanks for joining us today on another episode of Tuesday Talks. And we'll see you again on Tuesday, April 20th, where we will be discussing more along the lines of Stir Shaken and the progress that we're seeing in the industry. And we hope to see you there. Thank you. Thanks.